Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Um, you know, as soon as those guys all got drafted, as soon as Carl got signed back, you know, I reached out to everybody. You know, I told them it's time to go to work, you know. Each guy's going to push each other. You know, we all going to come out every single day and just to be our best, you know, day in and day out. Like I said, being a pro, that's for me, Carl, all the young guys. There is no no more rookies. We're all Raiders. And so, you know, everybody has to come out and do their job, contribute their part. And so if everybody does that, it's only going to make the room enti- entirely better. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I like the corner that I feel is getting turned uh, among some of these young uh, Raider players. And it's a process sometimes. It doesn't always happen overnight. Uh, guys got to grow into their leadership roles. Gotta, guys got to grow into the transition from being a rookie, being a young player, to being a veteran player, being a leader. This roster, this Raiders roster, has completely turned over. Not completely Derek Carr is still there, but short of Derek Carr, pretty much... Everybody that John Gruden inherited in 2018 when he took over the Raiders is gone. This is an entirely new roster from the roster that he inherited when he agreed to come back to coach the Raiders. Short of Derek Carr, there might be a guy here or there, but I don't even think that that's the case. I'd have to look at that roster. If it is, there's maybe one other guy. That roster has completely changed over. It's on, guys. And by the way, that was Jonathan Abram, uh, the Raiders Third year safety now. No more rookie. No more just getting his feet wet, trying to figure things out. Jonathan articulated that that's no longer the case. And that's every bit a true statement. Uh, You know, yes. And by the way, you're listening to In the Huddle with Vinny Monster brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Welcome uh, to Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. on a Friday. I'm all fired up uh, listening to that from Jonathan Abram and... You know, last year going into the season, Jonathan Abram was a guy that, you know, had missed all of his rookie year except for one half of, of, of the first game of the season. So it was a wash. His rookie season was a wash. Coming into last year, you know, Jonathan Abram, rightfully so, was essentially a rookie, you know, going into year two. He didn't play uh, extensively in his rookie season. So there was, rightfully so, hey, 2020 for Jonathan Abram is essentially his rookie year in terms of getting on the field and playing. Well, that's no longer the case, and I'm not saying uh, it was used as an excuse or has been being used uh, as an excuse. I'm not saying that at all, um, and neither is Jonathan Abram. You know, uh, But it's time to move away from that, whether you're Cleve Farrell or Jonathan Abram uh, or Trayvon Mullen, uh, Max Crosby, J- uh, Josh Jacobs, Hunter Renfro, uh, even getting into guys like Henry Ruggs now and Brian Edwards. These guys are the veterans of the team. You know, obviously this is Derek Carr's team. He's going into what his seventh, eighth year uh, with the Raiders. He is the grizzled veteran. Uh, but but beyond him and maybe Colton Miller, who was drafted in 2018, uh, and now Carl Joseph, who came back uh, after spending a year in Cleveland last season, uh, those are essentially the oldest guys left on the roster now the most experienced guys left on the roster right now. So beyond them is a whole bunch of players that are in their third year with this organization or second year with this organization um, in, in 
Nick Krakowski's case and uh, Corey Littleton's case, their second year uh, in the organization. Yeah, you got a bunch of rookies, and, and a couple of those guys are going to be stepping up into really big roles. But in and around them now is a veteran group that last year and the year before was extremely young. And I'm not saying this is a grizzled old veteran team because it isn't. Uh, but this is a team now where it's young, but youth can't be used as uh, an explanation anymore uh, for certain things that are that are that are happening. Uh, I felt last year watching that defense, <clears throat> there was a few issues going on. One, um, I don't think the coaching was up to par on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, no disrespect uh, to Paul Gunther, the former defensive coordinator, or his staff. But it just felt like there was, we've talked about this before, a little bit of a disconnect between the messaging from the top of that filtering down to the assistant coaches and position coaches down to the players. There were just too many mistakes that were happening uh, on, on the field. Now, part of it was, I believe, the coaching and the teaching and the messaging and the communication Part of it was there were a bunch of new faces on this defense last year. There's That's just the reality of the situation. Uh, the Raiders were breaking in seven new starters last year from the defense that ended the season in 2019. That's not always easy to do. That's all, It's going to be a process. I shouldn't say it's not easy, but there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a process involved. There's going to be... Um, you know, time needed to get it together, to get everybody on the same page, develop chemistry and trust and confidence in each other. Um, and that process was never available really to the Raiders. They had to kind of learn it in real time during the season. Uh, yeah, there was a training camp. But when I say the training camp last year uh, in 2020 was unusual, it was incredibly unusual. Everything about it was different than what it normally is. And it starts with, remember the, the what was it, the 10-day or 7-day ramp-up period where it was just conditioning. Uh, and then they were able to do some football activities for a couple of days real quick. Uh, and then there were 10 practices, I think it was, uh, where guys were allowed to, you know, put on the put on the uniform and put on the pads and go out there and practice. There were Obviously, no tackling to the ground. There never is. But it was just so condensed and so quick uh, and, and then so altered from what it usually is that, you know, to have expected a young team uh, last year, especially that defense, to kind of get it together in spite of everything that they were dealing with. You know, a rookie starter, Damon Arnett, a one cornerback, a second-year guy, and Trayvon Mullen, who had played like, you know, started the last six or seven games the year before, Clee Farrell going into his second year, Max Crosby going into his second year, um, you know, uh, um, Jonathan Abram basically playing his first season, Corey Littleton and Nick Krakowski arriving from uh, elsewhere as free agents, and and you know not having the period that the Raiders have available to them right now, these OTAs, which they're now you know in phase three, so there was already a phase one, which was conditioning. Uh, and getting out onto the field and doing some agility work and some Zoom meetings. Uh, then there was the phase two for a week uh, where players were allowed to get on the field with their coaches, but, you know, offense was over here, defense was over there. Um, and so you weren't able to, to get after it as an offense and a defense and Zoom meetings still going on. And now in phase three, uh, which is about four days per week or so, um, six hours a day uh, at the facility where you can have actual in-person meetings. There's still some Zoom stuff going on, but in-person 
positional meetings and team meetings followed by, you know, getting onto the field and, and putting what you, what you learned in the classroom uh, onto the field and, and getting to know guys. You're having lunch together and breakfast together. Uh, you're in the weight room together. This is all stuff that wasn't available to these guys last year. Um, and so it all contributed, whether it was youth or inexperience or a lack of cohesiveness and a foundation that should have been built during this time last year that wasn't available uh, to, to players to, you know, some, some coaching that might not have been on par, uh, might not have been, you know, the, the best. It all kind of contributed to what happened last year on defense. But as Jonathan Abrams said, and, you, and you know, hey, no more rookies, you know, no more talk about being rookies. And I completely agree with them. <clears throat> and even more importantly than that, Everything that you need, everything that the Raiders need in terms of building that foundation uh, is is available to them now. And it's why it's so important, you know, that so many guys are taking part in OTAs right now as opposed to and maybe in contradiction to the vote that the players had uh, last month to skip in-person OTAs at the behest of the Players Union, which... You know, as as Richie Incognito explained, went about as far as I could throw a football these days, which is to say, kind of nowhere. Um, you know, they got together as a team almost immediately after that vote and said, "Nah, you know, yeah, we may have done that uh, for visual purposes and for our union's purposes to kind of show them that you know we're supporting what their their agenda as as uh, as Richie uh, described it." But in reality. This young team and and you know Richie Incognito and the leaders of this team talking to the other players, telling them, "Look, there's no way us of all people as a team, the Raiders that are, you know, have had two uh, half last half season collapses, um, you know, trying to take that big step forward uh, to 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 maximizing the second half of seasons in order to make the playoffs and not fall short." like they have the last couple of years, um, you know, with a new defensive coordinator and still a relatively young team, a bunch of new players on that defensive line, um, to give up what's available this time of year to kind of set that foundation and to get to know each other and uh, to develop chemistry and, and kind of check in on yourselves uh, physically and where you are uh, and what you might need to do before training camp to really kick it up another year. Uh, in preparation for training camp, which, believe it or not, is right around the corner. Uh, what, June starts next week? Guess what? We can legitimately say, and I love this time of year. I say this every time of year. By, what, Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday, whatever, whenever it turns June 1st, right? I think it's Tuesday. We can legitimately say, as members of the media, the fans, the listeners, players, coaches, everybody, hey, <laughs> In next month, the season starts. Like, literally, next month, the season starts. Now, I know games don't start until September. But in July, training camp starts, which, to me, marks the start of the season. It's go time uh, in training camp. And so that's when football, the NFL, returns is next month, literally, which is very cool to say. And we're only a couple of days away from that being the case. And, oh, by the way, between now and then, there's still another three weeks left uh, of, of OTAs and what we saw this week over in Henderson, culminating with 
you know, that three-day mini camp uh, that, that marks the end of the off-season program. Guys then take a nice little breather and rest it up um, and kind of know what they have, you know, to, to work on before training camp starts. Uh, position battles start kind of clearing up a little bit. I think your John Gurdon and Mike Mayock, uh, these next couple of weeks, are going to give them a really good idea as they start looking at this roster. Uh, okay, is there something that we need to do? Uh, do you need to go out and get another linebacker? Um, are, how comfortable are you with, you know, Divine Diablo and uh, Javin White and Tanner Muse behind uh, the starters? Or maybe you need to go find somebody else to maybe give you a little bit more security uh, in terms of um, – you know, backing up. Like if, if there was an injury that were to happen, are you comfortable with the three options that you have the three or four? There's some other guys in the picture as well. But those three are the main guys right now uh, as backups at that linebacker position. How comfortable are you, you know, with, with that? Um, how comfortable are you behind the two tackles? How comfortable are you that, um, you know, you're, you're set at guard? You know, uh, I think the Raiders are definitely set at, at quarterback. I think they're definitely set at running back. Uh, I think for the most part, they're good at wide receiver. Um, uh, tight end, I think they're going to be – they have a chance to be pretty special, I think, at tight end. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, as as the season, you know, unfolds or, or gets closer. I think Foster Moreau, um, the way the Raiders want to use Foster Moreau, the way the Raiders want to develop Foster Moreau, uh, I think is going to excite a lot of Raider fans. And if it comes to fruition – he becomes a really important part of this offense. And I, I truly believe that he's at the capability of doing that. And I think that there's an intent and an objective from the coaching staff to do that as well. Uh, I told you about that coaching clinic video that uh, John Gruden put out for uh, some high school coaches that he knows and talked specifically about Foster Moreau. And he talked about how they want to get him to a Rob Gronkowski type uh you know, uh, role. And I'm not saying, and I'm sure John Gruden's not saying that he's, he's, you know, uh, Rob Gronkowski, that's the hall of fame tight end right there. But it tells you that they think highly of Foster Moreau and they have plans for Foster Moreau. And even if they, if you can get close to that or, or, you know, be used in that kind of a way offsetting Darren Waller, then that offense, the dynamics of this offense changes. And I've talked about this, you know, quite a bit as well. I think Foster Moreau, can really emerge uh, in that red zone and help the Raiders be able to score more touchdowns in the red zone. Remember last year, uh, they did pretty well scoring-wise in the red zone as opposed to the year before when they didn't do well at all in the red zone. The year before, uh, penalties, turnovers, turning the ball over on downs. Um, there were There's a reason why the Raiders averaged 19 points a game last year and 26 points a game, 27 points a game in 2020. They did much better in the red zone. And they also did a lot better on those explosive touchdowns. People talk about the lack of touchdowns in the red zone. Uh, but what really helped offset that was the fact that they had doubled it up in terms of touchdowns from 20 or more, uh, which they, they increased that by quite a bit. And it really ob obviously helped. But it also helped that they were they didn't come away without points on too many trips to the, to the red zone last year as opposed to the year before where they did far too many times. Um, but when you're talking specifically and solely about, hey, you know, how can the Raiders do better in terms of actually scoring touchdowns in the red zone? Well, I think that a guy like Foster Moreau, 
I think a guy like Kenyon Drake, I think a guy like Brian Edwards uh, can solve a lot of issues or, or, or help along the way uh, in terms of that red zone scoring because a Brian Edwards at his size can be somebody that becomes a, a, a one of those big physical threats uh, in the red zone. You throw the ball up and you go get let him do what he does, which is use his size and strength and the ability to go up and get it to your advantage. And I think that that was the vision that the Raiders had uh, for Brian Edwards last year. And, um, you know, it's as is the case with any rookie, it's going to be a little bit of a process. But he was seeing the field, he was getting on the field. Um, you know, they were, they were uh, slowly but surely getting him in more and more involved. Then, boom, week three, he goes down with a serious knee injury or excuse me, uh, ankle injury against the, the New England Patriots, and it just set him back. Uh, and he lost a lot of valuable time, you know, having to, to rehab and come back from that injury. And by the time he did come back, then it was a process of getting back acclimated. And we've talked about this so many times where once that train leaves, um, you know, the, the, the station for young players, it you know, you have to step off sometimes to whether, you know, for injury purposes or whatnot, and you have to step off that train, but that train doesn't stop for you and wait for you. It is immediately starts chugging down uh, the, 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 the tracks. And when you come back, it's not going to backtrack to come pick you up. You got to go catch it again and you got to go hustle up to go to go back and jump back on it. And it's a little bit of a process, especially for, for young players that are still trying to find their way. And that's what I think happened with Brian Edwards. Uh, last year in his rookie season, but the good news is Brian Edwards uh, ended it on a uh, on a strong note. Uh, had a nice couple of catches against the Denver Broncos, and a t- including a touchdown in the season uh, finale, which put him on a nice uh, plane and in a, a, a nice uh, frame of mind coming into this year. And watching him on Wednesday, uh, he still looks uh, as big and physical, uh, faster than you think. Uh, as he did as, as as a rookie, so big things can be expected, you know, from from Brian Edwards. I thought Henry Ruggs uh, looked stronger and bigger and more physical. Um, really looking forward to seeing him in uh, a, a, you know more involved settings, uh, going against the defense and and eleven on elevens and seven on sevens, where he's going to work against cornerbacks and seeing you know how he might also might be used. Uh, in these in this offense, the various ways that the Raiders are are, are going to get him the ball, um, but between Foster Moreau and Brian Edwards and Kenyon Drake, they have a chance really uh, to help this offense in terms of that red zone efficiency, scoring touchdowns uh, efficiency. It all has to happen. We talk about this all the time on, on the grass, but there is a vision and there is a, a, an objective. There's a plan. There's a plan in place. Um, to get these guys uh, into positions where they're going to be able to help, you know, not just in the red zone, but all over the field. I want your call, 702-365-9200. By the way, uh, at the bottom of the hour, uh, we're going to be bringing in uh, our really good friend, Q Myers, uh, who's going to join us uh, up until almost throughout the entire show. So really looking forward to uh, to getting his thoughts uh, on this roster. Um, we talked yesterday, and we'll continue to talk about it today, about that linebacker group. A um, little bit thin behind the starters, um, but 
this is what OTAs are for. This is where a guy like Tanner Muse and Divine Diablo, when he gets out there, and, and, and Javin White, uh, can can really create some comfort level for the coaches because that's what they're looking for. They want to make sure that, hey, he's in line. That guy's in line. We're going to be able to count on him. We're, we like what we see right now. Uh, it'll carry over to training camp. We feel pretty good about that position going into the season. You don't always feel 100% perfect. Um, there's It just doesn't work that way. Uh, but they getting these guys in the building and on the field right now really helps these coaches get a good look at what they have, what their roster really looks like, so that if any tinkering needs to happen before training camp, now they'll have something to base that on. Remember, even that wasn't available to the Raiders or anybody else for that matter uh, last year. It was tough, impossible really, because you can't see everything on Zoom. Uh, to get a read on that roster going into training camp, you kind of would. I, I think John Gruden and his staff were, were, you know, flying blind a little bit and just hoping for the best when these guys got together at training camp last year. And by that time, you're just getting ready for the season, man. So uh, it was hard, but it's back on track this year. And that's good news for the Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. We want your calls, 702-365-9200. When we get back, um, uh, we're going to bring it, be bringing in Q Myers, uh, at 4.30. Uh, also, I have a nice announcement about some uh, a, a very good event that Embajador Tequila is putting together uh, that's restarting, actually. Uh, and I'll give you the details when we come back here in the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Honestly, I think that was the biggest difference for us. You know, guys not being around, not having that commodity, not being able to build relationships. You know, a lot of people think it's just all X's and O's, and that's the, probably the last little bit of it. You know, it's about coming together, you know, being with your brothers every single day, and, you know, going out there and just putting it all on the line for one another. And, you know, if you don't have the chance to bond with guys then you don't have that brotherhood and guys don't really play for each other so and that's kind of what you saw all last year so you know I commend the teams that played well and played together you know but um, having OTAs this year is going to help us a lot and I think you know it'll be great things for the Raiders If he is uh, interesting to say that third year time flies without question I wrote today how Jonathan Abram is going into a big year that fifth year option is right around the corner and uh this is the year that players, if they have it, need to really start taking off because teams have decisions to make. Do you pick up that fifth-year option uh, or you start looking for other other options? And I think that Jonathan Abram, everything that he needs, he has uh, to be a, a, a good, productive NFL player. I think moving to uh, to box safety this year under Gus, Gus Bradley's new system is going to allow him to really accentuate and play into his strengths, being a physical presence in a, in a much in much smaller spaces, both in the run game uh, and defending the pass. Now he's got to do it. And if he does, he solves a lot of problems, and he puts himself in a really good position to be here uh, for a long time. If he doesn't, you know, as any organization would, you're going to have to start looking at, at, at other options. So a huge year for, for Jonathan Abram, and, and I agree with him. I think this is an important time of year, not for him, not just for him uh, individually, but the team as, as a whole. We're going to get into that uh, in just a second. But before we do, I want to tell you about uh, a nice event that uh, Embajador Tequila is doing, and it's it's so cool to be able to talk about getting back to normal and and, and things that we sort of took for granted. Uh, and uh, in, in Embajador Tequila's uh, case, uh, 
they always they, they work with an organization called Chefs for Kids, um, and it does a lot of great things, feeding um, you know uh, kids that need it, providing food for kids that need it. Uh, and all last year, because of COVID nineteen, um, some of the uh, some of the things that that Embajador and other organizations did to try to help out just wasn't available, unfortunately. But things are slowly but surely getting back to normal, and that includes um, the uh, the Chess for Kids poker tournament uh, over at the South Point Casino. Uh, it's every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of, of every month. Uh, cards start flying at 6.30 p.m. It starts on June 1st. Uh, this Tuesday, it supports uh, the local uh, Chefs for Kids uh, organization. Uh, Buy-in is $60. Uh, then you can rebuy as much as you want until the last table is set. There's a bunch of prizes, uh, including you know bottles of Embajador tequila um, and a bunch of other things. Uh, so I want you to check it out, please, uh, over, just give this uh, South Point Casino a call, or just show up uh, every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month, South Point Casino, um, and it's the Chefs for Kids uh, Poker Night. So uh, I'll be out there. I can't make any promises for, for this particular Tuesday, but I, uh, when I do go out there, uh, I'll let everybody know so that, uh, so that we can have some fun together for our great cause. So just keep that in mind. Uh, it's the Chefs for Kids Poker Tournament every first Tuesday. Uh, of every month starting on Tuesday, June 1st. So uh, appreciate being able to put that out there. Uh, without further ado, I want to welcome in our good friend, uh, Q Myers, who is nice enough uh, to spend some of our his Friday uh, with us here in the huddle. How you doing, Q? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, where I want to be, my man. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that, uh, as usual. And of course, you could follow uh, Q uh, at your boy Q254, uh, and uh, he's going to be with us today until about 545, and we really do uh, appreciate it. Q, you just heard you know, Jonathan Abram talking about um, you know, the importance of, of OTAs. Uh, I don't want to make it sound like this is the end-all, be-all. It isn't. But it is a necessary step along the way. We talk about this all the time, Q. Games are won in September and October and November. We get that. We understand that. But teams are literally built right now. This is when the foundation gets set. Uh, I was I was talking to a Raiders coach and and just a couple of days ago, and it was like literally, his words are it's the first time I get this. I don't even know what I have necessarily. This is the first time right. I really get a chance to see my team right now. You know what I'm saying? Like it's to that level where you finally get a chance as a coaching staff to get a full picture of what it is that you have, what it is that you have to work with. You get to look at position groups. You get to look at players going against other NFL players. Uh, in in competitive situations, and not only is there chemistry being built, bonds being created, evaluation is being done, but for the coaching staff, uh, they're looking at things and looking at that roster from A to Z, and say and and using that once OTAs are finished, you start thinking, hey man, should we bring in another linebacker here? Do we need to go out and get another veteran to do this? Are we okay with this position? This was never. This was not available to the Raiders or anybody else last year. But even that end of it is extremely important when you're talking about from the coaching and personnel department standpoint. What did it, what do we need now going into training camp, or are we cool with this group of ninety players or so? 
Right. I mean, in 2020, they really made an estimated guess. You know what I mean? They really kind of just said, hey, by, by way of Zoom, this is what I think. And by way of a small training camp period that was not exactly what we're used to seeing, uh, they, they you know, had to make an educated guess on, on what these players were going to be able to do when the lights came on and shined the bright. And so uh, it was definitely different. And I think Jonathan Abram, for talking about him in particular, uh, he's a guy, and he mentioned it the other day when you guys were at the facility talking about, uh, you know, that, it's great to have the facility there this year where they can go and start to be, like you said, start to bond. And he even mentioned that, yeah, everyone thinks it's X's and O's, but it's a lot more than that. It's about trust. It's about relationships, about building. And I'll, I'll tell you, there's two or three games that stand out to me in my mind where you could tell the players didn't trust the player next to them because they just didn't know if that player was going to do their job. So in, in Jonathan's, uh, you know, in his defense, Multiple times, he tried to do more than just his job. And when you do that, you get burned. And so this is right now what they're doing at the facility. They're building those relationships and they're building that trust. If you go out there and you trust your brother next to you, you're going to play a lot better. Q, we always, when we talk about peer pressure, it always seems to be in the negative sense. And I get that and I understand that. Remember how, you know, uh, our parents would say that, right? You know, uh, (laughs) don't fall prey to peer pressure, you know, because you're always taking it into the negative way. But peer pressure conversely, on the other side, is it can, can be extremely valuable. Um, it's often said that, you know, if your best player is your hardest worker, you're going to be in good shape, generally speaking, uh, because it's a follow the leader type of a situation. And that's where good peer pressure becomes prevalent and really important. And so when we do talk about peer pressure, it's it, it, it exists in, in, in sports in general, professional sports in particular, especially if you have somebody at that top rung that's leading the right way and doing the right things in a responsible way, because generally speaking, 53 other guys or 52 other guys, or in this case, 89 other guys are going to follow suit. Right. I mean, I always say that you're only as good as your leadership. You're only as as good as your best player and and you're only, you know, and then you could be as bad as your worst player as well, because your worst player can could really set you back. But your leadership tells you all that you really need to know. The guy that you look to on the roster, I'm not talking about coaches here. I'm talking about just players. If, If you look at that guy on the roster and say, hey, that's our lead dog right there. There's no way I'm not going to work up to his level because, well, I'm going to let him down. You, they've got to have a guy that they can look at and say, I've got to be just like him. And my perfect example is, is Tom Brady in, in Tampa Bay. The minute he got to Tampa Bay, everyone got better. Everyone took their job more seriously. The janitors took their job more seriously because, well, Tom Brady's in the building. So you could see everyone rise up to that level. Now, I'm not saying that the Raiders have a Tom Brady, a guy like that, but they've got to have a dude who could be that leader and is going to set that example of this is how you conduct yourself, this is how you operate as a professional, and this is how we're going to get over the hump. And it sounds like for the secondary, Casey Hayward has been that guy so far. Yeah, without question, and uh, we're going to get into that uh, here in just a little while, but, you know, back in my day covering the Lakers, toward toward the end of Kobe Bryant's career, uh, he would never take a game off, right? I mean, he just wasn't rolling with any kind of load management or any of that nonsense. Uh, But what they did do, and this is pretty typical uh, when you start getting up in age uh, in, in, in basketball, is they cut back his practice schedule, right, so that he was good to go in the games, he didn't necessarily have to go out there and practice on a daily basis. So it would kill him. He'd hated it because he wanted to be out there practicing, but there were better ways for him to use his time watching film, rehabbing, you know, uh, getting ready for the next game, which is always the next day or two days later. 
But so one day, um, it's in the middle of the season, and uh, there's Kobe practicing, kind of surprisingly so, and getting after it, man. Like he was like getting in dudes' faces, you know, talking, screaming. Um, he was he was being Kobe, right? So afterwards, we're like, okay, well, why? You weren't even so surprised. What, what, why were you out there? And his whole thing was because I was getting sick and tired of watching the way those guys were practicing. He goes, and after a while, it becomes when the cat is away, the mice will play. I had to come yeah. back here and make a statement like the way you guys were doing it ain't getting it done. <laughs> That's not how it needs to get done. I had to come back here off a day where I'm not even supposed to practice to show all these other knuckleheads. Hey, this is how you have to practice. Even at my age, I know that. And I'm going to set a tone and it did reset the tone. And, you know, I mean, it was one of those ones. It, it might've even been that practice where he stormed off the court and everyone made a big deal out of it. I was just laughing. Uh, Cause I was like, Kobe's letting everyone know that. I'm not going to tolerate this nonsense from you guys. I'm going to have to come back out here and show you how it has to be done. Right, exactly. That's what the great ones do, you know, and and that's what the ones that want to set a tone and be that alpha dog. And, you know, everything that we've heard from Jonathan Abrams since he's been with the team is that alpha dog type mentality. But he doesn't quite know the ropes yet. He's still learning the ropes, so he can't be expected to be that guy until he actually learns the role. And I heard you talking earlier about him moving down and to be that box safety and the fact that I think that that's going to help his game a lot. So if he can all of a sudden start dominating from that position, then everything that he says and kind of the tone he sets in, in, in practice will carry a lot more weight because you can look at him on game day and say, yeah, this dude gets it. And he is a tone setter and he is a leader. And I will say one more thing about what he had to say at the media session uh, following their practice on Wednesday, I believe his focus looked like it was a lot more than it was a year ago. And I don't you know, want to judge someone by their hair color or anything, but you saw him come in, you know, with the blonde hair kind of looked a little, you know, like he was just having a good time and that he had arrived and everything. And you saw him dancing out there on the field. And again, not holding that against him, but it just seems like he was a little bit looser than he was the other day in OTAs when he was talking to the media. He looked like he was really, really focused on the task at hand. Yeah, and that's not a that's a good thing, actually. And, uh, we, you know, we talked about this yesterday, uh, Q, um, you know, with, with Clee Farrell, he had also brought in, you know, uh, or, or, or brought up the fact that, you know, what you know in terms of what he needed to improve on what he was focused on and it was the intellectual side of the game uh not just the you know the, the physicality and and you know all of that which is obviously important at the end of the day these guys are athletes and you have to bring it from a physical standpoint uh but also understanding things and understanding schemes what the blocking um uh, scheme is all about where to look for your help do you understand what the guy next to you is doing um, and, and that's a huge part of this. And for Jonathan Abram as well, you know, sliding into a role that might not be as vast and is, and is, and is a little bit more streamlined for him, uh, I think it's going to benefit for him because I, I truly believe, Q, and, right. and, and I know you know this, that when you're when you have a command of something, when you have a confidence about something, your, your play is going to reflect that. Pretty soon it gets to a point where that intel, the, the intelligence, the understanding, the know-how of what you're supposed to be doing and all of that understanding pretty much leads you to where you need to be. It's almost become second nature. 
Right, exactly. And and that's what the Raiders need to do. And I think that's what the addition of Gus Bradley as a defensive coordinator is going to help them do. It's going to teach them what they need to be doing with a really relatively young defense, going to teach them what they need to do and make it so it's all second nature. So it's just go and not, you know, we talk about all the time, not thinking. And, you know, again, Jonathan Abram is a perfect example. He's a guy that can go up there, play a, a position that he's more comfortable with that he mentioned the other day he was it was going to be a benefit to him to be playing something that's uh, fits his strength more and then he won't have to think about what he's doing where he's supposed to be should he you know try to attack the quarterback or should he stay back in his lane or you know what i mean he should just know exactly what he's supposed to do and what his assignment is and he'll be able to react and and be that much better and i do think he has an opportunity to be a really really good player uh and there's there's players out there throughout the course of the league that are have similar traits to jonathan abram and you see them thriving and i always bring up jamal adams because i feel like they have similar traits Jamal obviously has been doing it for a lot longer, but he they have similar traits. And if he could be something close to that, then the Raiders got them a player. They just got to pull that out of them. When you talk about uh, Jamal Adams and you, you look at the sack totals, though they're always yes. up there. And yep. um, I, I bring that up because I'm going to ask you this, Q. I know that you know, you're good on the X's and O's. Uh, we've talked about Gus Bradley. We've talked about how he's not the big blitz guy. He does blitz. I mean, it, it, everyone's kind of making it sound like he never dials anything up. Right. He does. It's just at a low percentage. Uh, but when you talk about a Jamal Adams and you talk about a Jonathan Abram, could we see Jonathan Abram being used in the in the blitz game? Um, you know, with with Gus Bradley, even though he doesn't necessarily like the blitz. Absolutely. I, and I think that it would be criminal if they didn't use him in that way. You know what I mean? Because we've seen the success of Jamal Adams. I mean, he leads the Seattle Seahawks. He's led them in uh, in sacks last season, you know, and he's led the Jets in, in multiple seasons in sacks. He could be used in that role. And with his physicality that he possesses, yeah, he could absolutely do that. And I think that Gus Bradley's going to unleash that in him because he's got that in him. And you saw you saw Jonathan Abram, you know, go after the quarterback a few times even last year. And you saw, I mean, sometimes he was able to get home a couple times he, he was and a couple times he wasn't. But you see it's there. So if it's if it's kind of disguised correctly and he times his, his blitz on time, Oh, yeah, I think that that could definitely be a, a factor. I think that could be a real big element to his game. And when you play him up there in the box, then it's not so obvious when he's coming, you know, because he's already up there close in the box anyway. And then when he takes off and gets after the quarterback, it's more, I think, more of a surprise, and that will help him as well. You know, we look at Cleve Farrell. Uh, we, we just mentioned him because he was talking about the intellectual uh, side of the game, and, and especially at his position, and especially, you know, understanding that, at some point, you know, he probably has to jack the, the, the sack totals up a little bit, get better in that area. I think he's got it in him. Uh, but but I like, and we're going to talk about this on the other side, but I like the fact that he's talking about that intellectual side. Uh, because I truly believe that pass rushing is way beyond. There's a lot of fast guys out there. There's a lot of strong right. guys out there. The mental side of, of, uh, of, of rushing the passer and beating your opponent, that's how you get to the passers by beating your, the blocking scheme is so, so important as well. So it's nice to hear him talking about that side of things as well. Yep, exactly. And and I do think he's going to be a, a factor in that element. And I think he knows it. I think he knows that Gus Bradley is going to use him in a way that's going to strengthen his, uh, you know, again, play to his skill set. And he's going to be able to be a big factor on a defense that needs all the help they could get in many different elements. If he could provide seven or eight sacks, five or six sacks even, Oh, then you're, you're winning. You know, you're winning. Uh, you're cooking with grease, like I like to say. 
Well, when we get back, uh, we're going to do a little over under on how many sacks we think uh, that uh, that Cleve Farrell could get. We want your calls 702-365-9200. Uh, Q Myers was nice enough to uh, stay with us in the huddle for an extended period of time today. Uh, he's going to take it right up to uh, basically closing time. So we really appreciate that. Give us a call 702-365-9200. We're talking about Cleve Farrell and how many sacks he might get. And then in conjunction with that, how many sacks his top defensive line might be able to get. We'll talk to you on the other side. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. So Q, I want to throw some numbers at you, brother. All right. All right. So uh, we're talking about Cleve Farrell. All right. And this is where, I mean, I literally have to scratch my head. All right. Um, when I hear so many Raider fans uh, kind of taking Cleve Farrell to task, right? So um, it's just this dude graded out pretty darn solidly uh, uh, last year uh, in his second season in the games that he played. And remember, he dealt with COVID, which I can assure everybody that's listening, it took a bite out of that dude, all right? COVID was no joke to Cleve Farrell. Just understand that. And then there was uh, an injury as well. Um, prior to all of that, he was he – was, you know, kind of slotting in around top 12 defensive ends uh, per pro football focus, which I trust and I believe in. I really feel like they dig into the numbers and watch what's important and understand what's important. Uh, but I want to throw some numbers at you real quick. Uh, people tend to forget that because of COVID-19 and because of injuries, uh, Clee didn't play as much last year as he did in 2019, his rookie year. So, Literally, he played about 200 less snaps in uh, 2020 compared to 2019. Yet, he had four more pressures uh, in the pass rush. Uh, yeah, his sacks were down, but I mean, his 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 from five to two, but his, his snaps were down by, by 200. Uh, he had five more quarterback hits, two more quarterback hurries, um, finished with just three less or uh, four less tackles uh, in spite of playing 200 less snaps uh, compared to, you know, from one year compared to the next. So if you look at what he was doing when he was on the field, his second year compared to his, his, uh, his sophomore year or his freshman year, he was, he was a, a very efficient player and the stats bear that out. And the numbers bear that out. Um, there's reason to believe that if he can stay healthy and mm-hmm. stay on the field, that the number, everything's going to go up uh, if, because it just logically, it suggests that based on what he did last year. Yeah, I would agree. And and I think that you hit it on the head when you said that he's got to stay healthy and stay on the field. That's the first step, you know, because both years in the league, he hasn't been able to stay healthy and stay on the field. And so that's unfortunate. He is a really good player when he's on the field. Don't get me wrong at all. I think a couple things play against him. One, the big elephant in the room, he was drafted number four overall. So everyone's going to want to see double-digit sacks from the guy. You know, I mean, that's just what they're going to want to see. And I'm not saying that that's going to ever happen with Klee because he's not necessarily that guy. But he sets the edge really well. And when he wasn't in the game in 2020, you saw teams run all over the Raiders. You know, he sets the edge really, really well. He gets those pressures. He gets quarterback hits. I think for him to take the next step, he has to stay on the field throughout the course of the season. And he's got to just increase 
his production as far as getting to the quarterback, whether it's a sack, a quarterback hit, a quarterback hurry. He's, he's just got to continue to improve. But what he does against the run and the way that he's able to be versatile and be outside and inside, that, that's, that carries a lot of weight. So I, I do think he's a heck of a player. I just think that he needs to just continue to grow. And the thing that plays against him the most, like I said, is that he was drafted number four overall. Yeah, and 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 totally understand. Uh, I think I think by now that should be moot. You know, like who cares where he was drafted? What it all boils down to is, uh, can he be a player on a championship team? Can he be a? Right. Um, and I believe he can. That's that's the whole thing. I really believe that with Clee Farrell playing one defensive end position, the Raiders can win championships. Period. That defense could be a very very good defense, flat out. Uh, he won't be an embarrassment to you, or he won't be a weak link. He will be an asset to you in a lot of different ways. Uh, but when you do look at the grades, uh, overall grade of 76.1, that's more than respectable uh, from both focus on a scale of, you know, uh, 100 being the highest. 76.1 is very good. They, they, they grade pretty darn difficult or, or hard at pro football focus. His run defense was a 70.76.6, which is really good. Uh, and his pass rush was a 70. That's not horrible for what he's being asked to do. So I just would would hope or would think that Raider, you know, if you're if you're a fan, uh, Q, don't you want to have good players? Don't you want to celebrate the fact that you have good players? Don't you want to feel good about the fact that a player is grading out uh, to this extent? And while having a year where it got completely turned upside down by COVID-19, which hopefully is well beyond him now, behind him now, uh, and, and, and an injury that, that really set him back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely. And I'm with you 100% because I could take a step back and look at the big picture and see the player in general and, and realize that he's a really good player and a foundational piece of this uh, Raiders defense. And I remember seeing him when he was playing at Clemson. I remember seeing him play against Notre Dame at Jerry's World and walking right past him on the field after they won that game. And and I tweeted out, you know, hey, does anyone need a really good defensive end, a guy who could be a, a, a you know, not a, I didn't say use foundational, but I said something about that, uh, a, a really great leader of the team as well. And lo and behold, the Raiders ended up going and selecting him. But, you know, going back to the draft, and I know it's, it's you know, we shouldn't be talking about him being selected number four. But ultimately, the fan base is looking at him being selected number four. They're always going to look at him being number four. And on top of that, it was the year after Khalil Mack gets traded. And so all that leading up to it, everyone kept saying, everyone kept saying, well, the Raiders are going to go get a replacement for Khalil Mack. So going into the draft, Raider Nation was thinking, Got to go get that replacement for Khalil Mack. Who's it going to be? They select Clee Farrell, and all of a sudden, it's like, that's the guy. He's not Khalil Mack. He's not, he wasn't drafted to be Khalil Mack. But in Raider Nation's eyes, that's what they thought they were going to be getting or were hoping that they were going to get. And that's why everyone's always hung up on him being number four overall. Yeah, and you know, if you look at it, and I got the draft right here in, in front of me, and I know that Devin White finished strong and made a good impression, but... Grade-wise, from pro football focus, Devin White did not have a great year last year, or he, he didn't have as good a year as Cleve Farrell did. It's just that there were a couple of games where he really stood out and put up some some of the sexy numbers, but overall, right. overall, uh, there were times where he was a liability on that Tampa Bay defense, and a lot of that was protected and cleaned up by the fact that that was just a really good Tampa Bay defense that could absorb a player that really wasn't playing up to par, made some shiny, nice plays uh, at times, but overall, um, you know, wasn't, he, he was actually kind of a liability, I'm just going to say. So, uh, um, but let's look at that draft. And 
you know, when, when real quick, and then we'll, we'll, you know, we'll go to break here in just a little bit. But right behind him, Devin White, Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, uh, TJ uh, Hawkinson, Ed Oliver, Devin Bush Jr., Jonah Williams, Rashawn Gary. Am I missing somebody that the Raiders completely missed on right directly behind him? I think that a lot of Raider Nation wanted Josh Allen from, uh, you know, who's in Jacksonville. I think a lot of Raider Nation wanted him, and I believe he got banged up last year, didn't he? Wasn't he out injured a lot last year? I I, I got to look back and check, but uh, I know Josh Allen was a, a, a fan favorite. I know Quentin Williams was, but he was selected right before Quentin Williams or uh, before Cleef Earl was. Um, so there was there was a couple guys out there. Uh, Ed Oliver was another guy that Raider Nation really wanted, but he hasn't proven to be that dude either so no i mean no not really <laughs> not at all yeah th- that's the thing like i'm i'm befuddled because i'm like all right, wh- wh- where where's the egregious error like he's he's actually clee farrell is grading out higher than most of those players i think right. um the, the kid from the washington football club um that fell because of the uh the heart issue i think there was remember the uh it came out right before the draft was it sweat um uh sweat i thought was coming off of acl there was, yeah, there was somebody, let me look at that, uh, I'll get, oh, Jeffrey Simmons, or was it, not Simmons, but uh, where is Washington? Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but but there wasn't, like, I don't see this egregious error. Like, if, if they had missed on Lawrence Taylor or Aaron right, Barron, right, right, right. I'm, I'm with you. Like, okay, right. you know, that was, that was a big mistake. Um, but in the whole scheme of things, Farrell was playing pretty well, and uh, it, it, it could have just been that it was a two or three player great draft. And sometimes that happens. And after right. that, you're just going to get some good players. That's how drafts sometimes work out. It's not always going to be the Michael Jordan, uh, Akeem Olajuwon, and, and everyone else <laughs> draft, or the LeBron James, Dwayne, or uh, uh, who else was in that? Chris Bosh. Uh, there was a great, that was a great draft. Carmelo Anthony. You're not going to always get that kind of talent every single year. So the numbers of where they're picked and who was picked where, Sometimes there's a moot point because sometimes that draft class just isn't as deep as, as others are. So, um, but when we get back, uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring in uh, Dr. Odell from the Las Vegas uh, Neuropathy and Pain Center uh, at the top of the hour. But after that, we'll get back into. Uh, I'm saying right now, eight sacks for Cleefar. What do you think? Um, I think any yeah, I think five to five to five to eight is fair. I, I think he's a, I think really when he's at his best, he'll average about eight sacks a season, but I'll, I'll go from five to, to eight only because he's never had more than what, four in a season. Uh, five. He had five, five. his okay. rookie year. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. At least pro football focus had it at five. I thought it was 4.5, but uh, yeah, I uh, thought it was four and a half as well, but either way you look at it. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say from five, five to seven, let me just go ahead and make it smaller window. Five All to right. seven is what he'll get. Okay, and then we'll add that, that up to uh, to everything else. This new Raiders defensive line is going to give them. We'll see if they can get it to about twenty five on the yep. defensive line. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.